Good morning. Is everyone enjoying the lovely winter weather? Yes. I was speaking with Don Yoder this morning and he was reminding me it is still the middle of winter. Just don't get used to this. Also, that's all we're saying. Enjoy it. Just don't get used to it. There's a lot of winter left. Anyway, my name is Gary. I'm glad that you folks are here. Happy to have everybody here today and uh, hope everybody is enjoying the weather. Anyway, Tim's been in the middle of a series called Unfinished. As most of you know, our, our theme for the year is Mission. And we've been looking at the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts he is, is basically the, the continuing acts of Jesus through his apostles. And we've been uh, reading a commentary on that in our small groups and, and looking at all that. And guys, we highly encourage you, if you're not reading the book of Acts on your own, to jump in there. Even if you're reading the commentary, I hope you're doing more than just reading the commentary. That you're looking at what the book of Acts has to say. Uh, I, I personally, I've just been amazed at what I'm finding out. I'm, uh, I'm reading the commentary, I've been reading the book of Acts, and one of the things that just struck, just jumped out at me that I wanted, wanted to look at was what did they tell people in the book of Acts when they were sharing the gospel? When they're telling people who've never heard about Jesus or who have an inaccurate view of Jesus, what did they think was so important to tell them? Because I figure whatever they thought was important, I should probably think is important too. And I'm going through looking at any time they were sharing with people, like in Acts 2 when Peter's pre- preaching to the crowd, or in Acts 3 when a, when a crowd comes after Peter heals a crippled man, or in Acts 8 where Philip is sharing with the Ethiopian eunuch. And I'm, I'm digging into that. And guys, what I'm finding is that what they thought was important and what I've typically shared don't match up exactly. And so I've got, you know, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, what is so, why do they talk about this so much? Why do they emphasize this and I don't ever even mention it? Because guys, I want to understand the gospel right. I want to make sure that I've got the right message as I go out on my mission. And guys, I hope that's the way you're approaching the book of Acts. Now today, Tim asked me to talk about cameos, cameo appearances in the book of Acts. And I, I got excited about that right away. And so what I did, I started going back through the book of Acts a third time, looking this time at cameo appearances. Now what's a cameo? Y'all know what a cameo appearance is, right? It's like in a movie where somebody, an actor shows up for just a brief scene and then they're gone. That's all they're in is just this little, little scene. And I looked up the word cameo, and it actually has nothing to do with cinema, the original, original term. It has to do with uh, jewelry and engraving on jewelry. Who knew, right? And, um, but anyway, it did it the, like the third or fourth definition. It had a cameo role. What is a cameo role? And it says, it's a minor part played by a prominent performer in a single scene. You see, guys, when you go to the movie, I love cameo performances. Now, it's talking about by a prominent actor, not a no-name actor. All right? You know, sometimes after somebody gets famous, they say, well, they had a little bit role in this little movie back before they were just getting started. You know, they were doing commercials, and the first thing they got was this bit role. That wasn't a cameo because they weren't anybody of prominence. They weren't important. And when you watch some movies... It's fun to see these cameo appearances. I am told I was never a fan of, the, of 
well, I guess because of my age, but I am told that Alfred Hitchcock made a cameo in all the movies that he made. Yeah. And there's even one where it's about a lifeboat, and there's a, a newspaper that has, has his picture in it. You know, that's his cameo performance. Stephen King does a similar thing. I don't know if he's done it in all of his movies, but he shows up in one scene just to, just to be there. Uh, there's a new Star Trek movie coming out this summer, I believe. And the very the first Star Trek movie in the new Star Trek movies that came out, not the one from the 80s with William Shatner, but the new one with Chris Pine, when it first came out, four or five years ago, there were several cameos. I loved the cameo performances. Spock's mother was Winona Ryder. Okay? And then uh, uh, Captain Kirk's mother, you know, in the scene, the opening scene where he was born was uh, one of the actors from the, movie, from the TV show House. And it just makes it interesting. I enjoy cameo performances. But guys, when you look through the book of Acts, and I, start, I, I got really, really rigid, I guess you will, about who what a cameo performance is. Because it means they're in a single scene. One scene. Now guys, as we first look at through this, and you go, well, those, the people that we're going to be talking about, they weren't really people of prominence. Well, prominence just means importance. And I, I'm going to beg to differ with that point as we go on because even though they're, they're a minor role and they're just mentioned in one scene of the book of Acts they're very important and guys we want to go through that but when you look through the book of Acts there are several uh, what I want to call you know, cameos that come about you may, depending on how familiar you are with the book of Acts you may or may not know about these there's a guy named Agabus are you familiar with Agabus? He was actually in two. Okay, I cheated. That's my one cheat. He was in two scenes, I believe, at least the name is. I'm assuming it's the same guy. He's a prophet in both scenes. Once he shows up, he, proph- he said he prophesied that there would be a great famine in the land, and they were able to prepare for that. And another time, he, he comes to see Paul and gets very dramatic, takes, his, takes Paul's the thing he ties his robe with, whatever it is, ties his hands up with it and says, the man I tie up with this is going to be bound and taken to Rome. That's it. And then he's gone. That's all we know about Agabus. He was a prophet. Made these two prophecies. Nothing else about him. He's gone. Then there's other people, uh, like Rhoda. How many of you know who Rhoda is? few hands go up. few hands go up. Rhoda's in chapter 12 of Acts. Peter's in prison in chapter 12. The church is praying for him. And miraculously, his chains fall off and he walks out of jail and nobody notices And so he goes to the house where the church is praying, and he knocks on the door, and a young girl opens the door. Her name's Rhoda. She answers the door. Her name is Rhoda. And Peter says, it's me. Open the door. And she gets so excited, she goes and tells everybody, but doesn't open the door. And then she goes back and tells everybody, and they go, you're crazy. You must be, no, that's not, you're out of your mind. That's not him. Well, Peter keeps knocking. Guess what? It's really Peter. That's all we know about Rhoda. Nothing more there. Guys, there's a guy in the very first chapter. Yeah, first chapter. His name is Bersabbas. Does anybody know who Bersabbas is? Few people. Few people. How many of you know who Matthias is? More people know who Matthias is. Bersabbas was the loser. Okay, he lost the coin flip. Okay, in Acts chapter 1, while they're sitting around doing nothing, they, you know, Peter stands up and he says, Hey, look, Judas killed himself. We need to replace Judas. So there's 12 of us. Very important that there was 12. 
And we have to choose somebody. And he goes down, and we'll read about it in a little bit. He says, we've got to choose somebody who's been with us all the time, all the way from the John's baptism up through the resurrection, so he can be a witness of the resurrection. And they chose two people, Barsabbas and Matthias. And it says they cast lots, which is the equivalent of flipping the coin, and Barsabbas lost. That's, that's his one scene. He's not in there anymore. There is another Barsabbas, but we, know, we can't confirm that it's him. And it's, again, it's a very minor role. There and gone. He, think about this, guys. He was qualified to be an apostle. I mean, that's a pretty good guy. We don't know nothing else about him. That's it. Guys, like I said, seemingly insignificant. But one of my favorites that I stumbled upon is Jason in chapter 17. Who knows who Jason is? He what? He runs the sound? (laughs) Tim knew who Jason was. Nobody knows who Jason was. Jason Law, I think you were named after Jason. I don't know. Jason gets arrested in chapter 17. He gets arrested because uh, Paul and Silas are preaching, preaching about Jesus. The Jewish people get all upset. They get, they get the people in an uproar, and they show up at Jason's house looking for Paul and Silas. Apparently, that's where they were staying, or at least the people thought he was staying there. Jason, they, they can't find Paul and Silas. They're not there, so they arrest Jason and a few others, take him, take him to jail, and they got a post bond. And we don't know nothing more about Jason. He's gone. And so, guys, when you read things like this in the Bible, and this is good the way you read anything in the Bible, but you look at these seemingly insignificant stories, these seemingly insignificant people, and you have to ask the question, why is it in there? I mean, is it just a fact to kind of make the story more interesting? To make it more entertaining? To make it more believable? I mean, what is it? Or is there something that we can learn from them? Hmm. Guys, I think there's something we can learn from them. I don't think anything is in the Bible on accident. I don't think there's any filler material, if you will, in the Bible. Now, somebody's going to probably bring something to me and go, what's this here for? Why is that? I don't know. Read it and ask God. He'll tell you. Guys, I can't, I don't have all the answers. But I do know that it's not there for an accident. There's something there I can learn from it. And that's what we want to look at today. And we want to talk about just four things that we can learn from these cameo appearances. And why are they in there? The first thing that we want to talk about is that God sees everything. And you might say, well, duh. God sees everything. Of course He does. What's the point of that? What's that got to do with these cameo appearances? Guys, I believe they are in there to remind us that God knows everything that's going on. You see, there's a lesson that I've had a hard time learning in my life because um, for the majority of my life, I was after recognition. I wanted to be recognized as somebody that was a cut above, that was above average, that was more than ordinary. That's what I wanted to be. And that's what I strove for. And then I heard this saying, that sounds cute, and it's very difficult to implement. And that is this saying that says, I serve an audience of one. What does that mean? That means 
The only person I have to be concerned about how they feel about me is God. That means He is the one that I'm looking to satisfy, not anybody else. And guys, that's a challenge. That's been a challenge for me because I, I, I want to be recognized. And God's saying, I'm the only person you need to be concerned about what I think. And you guys, you know, it's important. What, what The significance of the fact of understanding that God is watching and the fact that He highlights these cameo roles in the book of Acts is because I need to know, I need, I need to work on serving an audience of one but can I tell you, it makes a huge difference to know that that audience is actually watching. To know that God has his eye on me and sees what I'm doing. And guys, that's what these roles tell me. God's saying, look, this looks like little bitty stuff over here. This looks like janitor type of work, if you will. But guess what? I notice, and it's important. Guys, look at these two passages here. One in 1 Corinthians 5 and one in 1 Timothy, Timothy 5. The first one says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Paul tells Timothy, he says, The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious. And even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. Guys, how many times do you want, you've done something good and you want to tell the world about it? You know, I remember Jeff Foxworthy talks about, you know, his old, uh, one of his old lines was about, uh, how men want to brag about the one little thing they did. You know, he said, the woman, the wife can be outside asphalting the driveway, and the husband can come to the door and say, hey, hon, you know that ashtray on the coffee table next to the TV? I emptied it. <laughs> Just wanted you to know. Didn't mean to interrupt you. Go back to work. And guys, sometimes that's the way, that's the way I can be. I've done something. I want to tell everybody about it. I want somebody to recognize what I've done. And that's true. God recognizes what I do. And guys, that needs to be the point of it. If you're going to truly serve an audience of one, and let that be your primary motive, your primary drive, you need to know God does see what you're doing. And these, these, little, these little cameo roles are proof of that. Can I ask you something just real quick as we, before we move on to point two? Do you believe that God sees everything you do? And are you okay with him, him being the only one? Now, I don't mean you keep everything a secret. Oh, I don't tell anybody anything I do. Because sometimes we need to know what other people do. You know, I, I heard a story years ago about uh, a preacher in New York City. And he uh, was standing next to somebody. They, this church, the church he was a part of, extremely evangelistic. And he's standing next to somebody on the subway, and he says to the guy, he didn't know what to say, he wanted to invite him to church, didn't know what to say. Finally he says, I'm standing too close to you not to invite you to church. And the guy's like, okay, great. He didn't come to church, by the way. But the next Sunday, the preacher shared that. Now, I don't think it was in a braggadocious way. He was just saying, man, this, this is what I did. 
from the way I understand the story. But they said, and they were, this, this is the type of church that keeps, kept statistics pretty good. And they said 170 people went out that week and pulled that same one-liner. And I forget how many came to church, but one person became a follower of Jesus as a result of the preacher sharing, you know, what he did. And, and somebody else trying it. So guys, there's times where you don't have to. It's not like any, oh, you know, I did something good, let's don't tell anybody about it. Sometimes you need to share. But guys, ultimately, we need to be content with the fact that God knows what I did. And guys, that's what we're doing there. Um, second thing we can learn from these cameo importance, and this is very important, this is, this is huge, and that is that importance does not equal high visibility. Importance does not, I had to change this one. I had to change this. I originally had significance does not equal prominence. And then I looked up the, you know, the, 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 the definition of cameo, and it's a minor appearance, minor role by a prominent actor. Somebody who's important. And guys, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I want you to know that what seems insignificant and what seems minor can be hugely important in the role of the church and in the kingdom of God. But it doesn't mean you're going to be highly visible. Okay? It doesn't mean you're going to be up there, uh, uh, up on stage. It doesn't mean anybody's ever going to recognize what you do. You know, I told the story earlier about Barsabbas. He's the one that lost the coin flip. Matthias is the other guy. Let's, let's read about Matthias here real quick here. This is in Acts chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. It says, I guess it's more than 22, it's down through 26. It says, therefore, it is, this, is, this is Peter speaking, and it's after Judas has, has died, and they're choosing to replace him. He says, therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Ooh. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Think about this just a minute, guys. Okay? There was only twelve apostles. They made sure there was twelve. They couldn't include Bersabbas because there's supposed to be twelve. Okay? Matthias is number twelve. He won the coin flip. He was it. He was the winner. He was qualified. That passage in your, in your notes in 1 Corinthians 12 tells you that being an apostle was, one of, was the most important role. In 1 Corinthians 12 is what it talks about. It's going through the different gifts. And it says there are first of all apostles. That was it. He was a big gun. Do you know what we hear about Matthias after this passage we just read? Nothing. No, there's nothing said about him. 
His king, he's one of the twelve. And there's nothing else said about him. Important, but not visible. Now when I say that, I guess I mean, I'm sure he was visible during that time. I mean, we know from history that he was martyred. He died a martyr's death, as did all the other apostles except for John. But guys, that's a big deal. We don't know what he did. We, we have not one record of one word he spoke to testify about Jesus. Not one record of a miracle he performed. Not one record of any place he went to share the gospel. And I guess I'm kind of hammering the point in, guys. He was important. Very important role. But not visible. Not visible to us at all. Guys, why do I say that? Because... I just want to let you know, the vast majority of what you do for Jesus will go unnoticed by people. You're going to do things, you're going to help people, and nobody's going to notice. A few years ago, I, 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 I've told about this before, um, but this was, I don't know, six, eight, ten years ago, I don't remember. It was January, it was cold, and I picked up a guy. He wasn't even hitchhiking. I had to turn around and go by again, but it was too cold. And I thought, I'm going to pick this guy up. And after I picked him up, I thought, I can't tell anybody about this. What's the point of me? The only reason for me to tell anybody about this is to get an attaboy. And I thought, I can't, I, I, I'm not going to do it. Guys, can I tell you, that's what most of serving Jesus is about. It's you do it, and it goes unrecognized by people. There's no visibility to it. Um, one of my other favorite uh, passages is in Acts chapter 11 and verse 20. In Acts chapter 10, Peter shares the gospel, tells, Je- tells about Jesus with Cornelius. That's a big deal because Cornelius is the first non-Jewish person to be told the gospel. That's what happens in chapter 10. In chapter 11 then, Peter has to explain his actions to the other Jewish Christians. Because this was a Jewish taboo. They were the people of God. And even though God had said, Jesus had said, you're going to talk to the Gentiles, it hadn't happened yet. And Peter does it. Has to explain his actions. Then in verse 20, what it says is that men from Cyprus and Cyrene were out sharing the gospel and they started sharing it with the Greeks. They started sharing it with the non-Jewish people. Guys, they broke the race code. The race barrier of that day for for the Christians. They were breaking it. Hugely significant deal. I mean, that's like the 1960s. And white people giving up their seats for black people on the bus. Okay? They're saying race doesn't matter. I'm going to treat you as just as important as anybody else. What are their names? These guys that broke this race barrier in sharing the gospel. Who are they? They're men from Cyprus and Cyrene. You want to talk about low visibility? They don't even mention your name. And guys, literally, this is what Jesus told us about. Here in Luke chapter 17, this is what he said. This isn't in your notes. If you want to look it up to follow along, I'm in verses 7 through 10. But this is what Jesus had to share concerning, you know, being recognized. He says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. 
Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. And you see, guys, that's what these roles tell us. Here are examples of people going about their business, fulfilling their roles, unrecognized, except for a little clip, a brief cameo in the book of Acts. Third thing that we can learn from these cameo appearances is that I have a role slash mission to fulfill. In Ephesians chapter 4, this is one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament because it is just so plain, just so clear. And this is what it says. It says, he, he, talking about Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You see, guys, these cameo appearances, these cameo, I guess they're more cameo recordings of, the, of, these, of these people, are just ordinary people, average ordinary people, doing their own special work. Now let me ask you a question. What is your own special work? Do you have your own special work to do? You see, because this that we're looking at in Ephesians 4 says, as each part does its own special work. What does that mean, as each part? Does that, ask, tell me if I'm reading too much into this, but is that not saying that every part has its own special work to do? Is that, is that a fair conclusion? So I ask you, what is your special work that God has given to you? Guys, I think you need to be able to identify that. If you don't have an answer, I think you need to try to find an answer to that. Because God has given it to you. He doesn't want it to remain hidden. And guys, that's what you see in these cameo appearances, is ordinary folks doing a very, very special work. And guys, let me tell you, you have a mission to fulfill. That's why I put role slash mission. I love that line from the Blues Brothers. We're on a mission from God. That sounds so cool, doesn't it? Guys, you can say that. Every person who is a follower of Jesus should be able to say, I'm on a mission from God. He is giving me my own special work to do. Guys, if you, if you can't answer that, I think you need to seek to find an answer for that. And I want to encourage you 
challenge you. And why do I do that? Let me, let me tell you why. Because when you look at this passage here, let's kind of reverse this a little bit, alright? Let's, let's untangle this and let's look at the opposite of this, alright? Let's focus on, as each part does its own special work. Let's say that it read like this. I mean, I think it could read like this. As individual parts refuse to do their own special work or get distracted from their own special work, the whole body falls apart. Okay? Parts stop receiving help from each other. And the whole body tends towards unhealthiness and a lack of love. Is that, is that a fair way to look at that passage? You see, guys, why do I say that? Because that's, if you're not doing your own special work, guess what? That's what you're contributing to. And guys, that's not what we want. A few weeks ago, Tim asked a question. <laughs> can't believe he asked this. What, he asked the question, what am I going to say at your funeral? <laughs> you know, what am I going to say when I get up there? You know, am I going to have to fake it, in other words? Or am I going to have some real legitimate things to say about you? In Acts, in Acts chapter 9, guys, I want, I want to give you an example of somebody uh, who died and what they had to say about her. And I want to hopefully encourage you to, 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 to be like her. In Acts chapter 9, beginning verse 36, this is what it says. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Yeah, that sounds funny, doesn't it? Dorcas. <laughs> when I grew up, the church I grew up going to had the Dorcas ladies. And I, where did you get that name? Well, now I know. Actually, I've known for a few years, but... Says she was, here you go. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Jesus was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows around him, I'm sorry, all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Let me ask you, do you know what Dorcas' own special work was? It's right there in verse, verse 36. Always doing good and helping the poor. What was her, what, if you had to talk to her, Tabitha, what is your special gift? What you, I am always doing good and helping the poor. Maybe she didn't define it that way. Maybe she asked her what's your own special work. She'd go, I don't know, I'm just doing what Jesus said. But anybody else, you say, what is her, what is Tabitha's special work? They'd say, doing good and helping the poor. And you see, guys, I wonder how much people recognize it while she was alive or was after she did that they did it. It didn't matter. It's the same thing. 
And guys, I want to tell you, there's somebody in this room right here who reminds me of Dorcas. Okay? Oh, there's a couple people. My wife says that Susie Liebarger reminds her of Dorcas. Isn't that what you said, dear? Did I, am, I mis, am I misquoting you again? What? Something like She tells me I get things wrong. If you can imagine that. But guys, there's somebody in this room who quietly goes about their business. Quietly doing, serving Jesus the best way that they know how. And goes unrecognized. Y'all wondering who it is, don't you? That's why I'm down here. Because I thought, though they don't know that I'm going to point them out, I thought it was time that I brought them Gave them a little bit of visibility. And it was really interesting because when we were, I was with Tim and Alan and we'd meet on Wednesday mornings. And when we were talking, and we were, we were talking about this lesson, and we were saying, uh, we were talking, I said, you know who Dorcas reminds me of? And we all had a story about this woman. And do you know who it was? Or who it is? Janet, can you stand up please? <laughs> Come on, come on. <laughs> she desires no recognition. And she told Susan said she's gonna spank you for that. <laughs> Guys, we all had you wanna know what Janet's special work is? Her own special work? I don't know if she'd define it this way. But this is what we see, Janet. You're always showing constant concern and encouragement. For the last... So go ahead, yes. She's doing what she knows to do, serving Jesus the way she knows to serve Him. And she has become a constant encouragement to my wife and I. Specifically, you know, my, my wife's had some health issues over the last three years. I've had a few, not as many. She's constant. Every Sunday, I've got to answer to the woman. How's your wife feeling? And how are you doing? I mean, and it's like a grandmother. Okay? I had plantar fasciitis very bad. I've had it very bad two times in my life. I got it very bad a year ago. It was awful. Me and Peyton Manning. I mean, I knew Peyton Manning's pain. When he had plantar fasciitis this year, okay? I know it. And, you know, you could hardly walk. It's not just getting up in the morning. It's through the day. Anytime you didn't have your shoe on. I mean, even with my shoes on, it was bad. I had Birkenstock arch supports, which solved the problem before. It wasn't taking care of the problem. And I'd come in every morning, and Janet knew about this. Have you been down to Clary's yet? It's a shoe store. It's a shoe store in Wood River. No, I haven't. Don't go to the Good Feet store. It's a waste of money. I spent $500 there. They're a joke. They Don't go there. Three months she, she asked me about that. And I kept I wasn't putting her off. I was just busy. Yes, I'm planning on going. I just haven't made it. Finally, I made it there. They sent me a pair of Merrill shoes, new set of Birkenstocks, $170, and I walked out feeling good. Guys, can I tell you, I probably wouldn't have went into that shoe store if she hadn't told me that. Guys, she has a concern for me. You know, she talks to me and she says, you, you don't deserve this. I said, well, 
God sees differently. <laughs> well, that's okay. You're, you're too good a people. You don't deserve this. Well, talk to God about it, okay? Because I think He understands that I can put up with some of this. And that I need to put up with some of this. Guys, her own special work. You see, that's not a ministry of the church. Did you know that? She's the leader of her ministry, just her, doing her own special work. Guys, you need to have your own special work. You need to be able to see it, and you need to be able to embrace it. And I say embrace it because it, ain't, it probably won't be something very glamorous. It's something behind the scenes. It's something that's not recognized. Just a minute, before I go on, I just, I just want to tell you something real quick. Uh, and again, you wouldn't know it unless, probably unless I told you you were close to it. Janet was, was just diagnosed with cancer for the sixth time. She's fighting this. And so, guys, your prayers are muchly appreciated. I don't think cancer stands a chance. I mean, I don't know why it keeps coming back. If she's whooped it five times, you beat cancer five times, six. This is number six. She's beat it five times. <laughs> But guys, be, be praying for her. Okay? I don't think God wants her to go yet. I think she needs to teach some of the rest of us how to do our own special work. And to serve as an example for us. And so guys, there. Uh, the last thing we need to learn, or want us to learn from this, is that my mission is whatever God puts in front of me. My mission is whatever God puts in front of me. See, guys, there's what I'm going to call the universal mission of the church. Go make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey all things. And then there's individual missions. You see, because within that, Peter, his mission was to the Jewish people. Paul's was to the Gentile folks. Dorcas's was to always do good and to help the poor. Janet's is to be a constant, show constant concern and encouragement. And I want to encourage you, challenge you, beg you, that as we have this focus on, have, on our theme this year is mission, that at the end of this year, you can tell me what your mission is. You can tell me what God has put directly in front of you to deal with and to do. See, guys, look at these last two passages here, and we'll pray and we'll be done. In Proverbs chapter 4, it says, Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Guys, the second line there, fix your eyes on what lies before you. What's right in front of you? If you're standing here right now, if you're sitting here and you're going, Gary, I don't know what my own special work is. It's probably right in front of you. It is probably right in front of you and you need to look for it. The second passage, guys, is in Romans chapter 12. And it says, in His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out 
with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You see, guys, not only has God placed something right in front of you, He's given you a gift to fulfill that mission with. And guys, those are the two, the two questions you, you need to be able to ask. And you need to be, if you don't have an answer to them right now, I'm begging you to ask God to show you. What's your own special work? And what's your gift? Because if you're not seeing it, you're hurting the body of Jesus. And guys, we don't want that to go on. Guys, let's pray, shall we? Father, I'm amazed. I say that all the time. I start most of my prayers that way. Because, Father, when I look at you, I do get amazed. Father, I'm amazed at what you show us when we look closely at your word. Father, these, when you look at Dorcas, I'm just amazed at how this woman's example is still in front of us 2,000 years later. Father, how it still speaks to us. Something, I don't care who's in this room. I, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people, if not most of, peop, most of the people in this room, that don't know what their own special work is. Who don't identify the gift you've given them. Or they do and they're not exercising it right now. Father, Dorcas stands out to us as this incredible example of doing something very simple that's in front of you. She goes, I can at least do good and help the poor. We don't know any words she ever spoke sharing the gospel with people. I'm sure she did because she lived the words of Jesus. Father, I just want to pray you can place that before us. I believe with all my heart that you have a purpose, a plan, a mission for every person in this room. And Father, I ask you to touch hearts, to open our eyes, to see what that purpose is, and to die to ourselves long enough to embrace it. Father, we want to be a body of Christ here in this area that's healthy. And that means we all have to do our own job. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.